This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, nice to have you with me. This is Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. The HBO dramedy Somebody Somewhere is like the show we needed this winter. A gem that's equal parts moving, uplifting, and thoughtful. And talking to Jeff Hiller, who stars as Joel on the show, was the same. Just a joy. Somebody Somewhere, created by Hannah Bose and Paul Thurin and produced by Jay and Mark Duplass, is really about trying to live despite loss and finding community, your people, when and where you least expect it. Comedian Bridget Everett, who also produces the show, which is partly based on her own experiences, plays Sam, a former cabaret performer who recently moved back to her small town in Kansas to care for her sister. We meet Sam after Holly has died of cancer, and Sam has stayed on in Kansas, really because she has no better plan. She reconnects with a former classmate, Joel, played by my guest, Jeff Hiller. Joel invites her to what he calls choir practice, an underground cabaret that he hosts at a local church. A wonderful group of supporting characters round out the show, including Murray Hill, who plays Fred Rococo, by day a university soil scientist, by night a master of ceremonies. Sam's dad, a stoic Kansas farmer played by Mike Haggerty, is having a hard time recognizing that his wife is an alcoholic and needs rehab. Sam and Joel's friendship really feels like the heartbeat of the series, and Jeff Hiller is fantastic as Joel. Hiller, who's acted on shows like 30 Rock, Ugly Betty, and Community, is based in New York, but is originally from San Antonio, Texas. He talked to me from L.A. where he was traveling ahead of the last episode of Somebody Somewhere premiering this Sunday. And I had such a great time talking to him about a little of everything about the show, about leaving home for the big city, about surviving bullying and how he, like Joel, found a safe haven with the church and school choir. We talked about killing with kindness, bitchy customer service representatives, and so much more. But first, here is Somebody Somewhere. I lost my sister six months ago. You know, I keep trying to go through her stuff and I get kind of stuck. What a shitty year, huh? <laughs> Love you too, Dad. <laughs> so sorry about Holly. She was a few years ahead of us, right? No, I, I knew I recognized you. No, you didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I want to know. I mean, what are you doing with your goddamn life? <laughs> I came home so I could take care of Holly because nobody else wanted okay, to. Okay, right. So that was one year. Babe, what should I eat? The Mexican casserole's really good. There she is. I used to love watching you sing. You're so joyful. You got the voice of an angel. What are you going to do? Here's a little invite to this thing I do. I think you'd really like it. Welcome to the fourth ever choir practice, y'all. Come on. This isn't like officially sanctioned. <laughs> nice to have you back home. 
favorite singers in the entire world is here with us tonight. Come on up here. I haven't done this for a long time. God, I can't believe I like know you, know you now. You're a big fucking deal. Jeff Filler, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks. It's fun to be here. <laughs> so um, here we are ahead of your last episode of Somebody Somewhere. It's already renewed for season two. You're in L.A. Um, in a very hotel. I can see some strange <laughs> things behind you. Tell me what you, what you have there. Yeah, well, both of the lamps, one lamp has Darth Vader's head on it, and one has a stormtrooper. And they don't have a Bible, but they do have a copy of the Big Lebowski script. <laughs> L.A. Living. <laughs> I mean, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> We've seen you in a bunch of things. 30 Rock, Law and Order, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. You jokingly say that you've mostly played waiters and bitchy customer service representatives, <laughs> which is not really true. But I understand what you mean. Joel is probably the biggest part for you on TV anyway. Tell me a little Absolutely. bit about how he came to you. Yeah, well, I sort of tend, like a little bit knew Bridget Everett, um, but I didn't, I, we weren't like, you know, hanging out every weekend or anything like that. We knew each other through the downtown theater world and uh, cabaret world. We both perform at Joe's Pub. And um, she said, hey, would you mind auditioning for this? And I was like, sure. And then, uh, and then I got it. And uh, I was like, oh, she probably knew it was for me or something. And then I talked to like hundreds of other <laughs> gay actors over 40 who were like, yeah, I auditioned for it too. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, thank God, thank God. <laughs> well, you got it. But I hope you won't stop playing those bitchy customer service representatives. <laughs> I mean, representation is important. <laughs> that is so true. There are thousands and millions of, of bitchy customer service representatives who need a face on screen. And I'll play them again for sure. <laughs> Your show is, is really beautiful. It's humor and tears and it's about life choices. And one of the themes is about those who stayed and those who left a small mm. town. Um, now, Joel stayed in Kansas. What, why do you think he did? Well, I think Joel is like a lot. Of, I mean, Joel's not like me. I did. I left my hometown and moved to New York. But I think that Joel is like a lot of people I do know from growing up in Texas um, who uh, don't feel the need to to leave, who, who create their own community, who find their own people. And um, I, I think that's beautiful and admirable. And um, I think that he has a real gift at bringing people together, you know, the fact that he does choir practice, that he, he makes the space that, uh, that needs to have, be there for these folks to find each other and to create their chosen family. And so I think because he has that gift, um, he, he can stay there. I don't have that gift. I <laughs> He has such an optimistic look on life, um, dreamer. He has a vision board. Uh, where does he get that optimism from, you think? I think it's 
an eight. Um, I also, I mean, I talked to the writers about who they think his family is. They, they told me he's raised by a single mom, which I, <laughs> I get, I get how, um, uh, you would feel really close to, uh, I just, I, I am a gay, uh, man and I was super close to my mom. And, uh, I know lots of, of gay men who were super close to their moms. And so that makes real sense to me. And so when you have that foundation, when you have that support that says, I have unconditional love for you. Um, you can still have hope, even though the world comes and takes a big old crap on your head pretty daily. Yes. <laughs> Do you ever think about where you would have been if you would have stayed? Yes, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably be in some sort of service industry, uh, not like waiting tables, more like a social services. And I would probably like, host a karaoke night on Thursdays or something. <laughs> that sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, doesn't sound terrible, does it? <laughs> so maybe I'd be in like some improv team that had like a real punny name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully you wouldn't be that bitchy customer service rep. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I would be. I hate conflict. <laughs> Was it a scary decision to leave? It was scary. It took me a while. It took me a while to actually say to myself, this is something that I really want to pursue and want to try. And, um, and it was scary moving to New York. I didn't know anybody. It was a really hard time just finding my first apartment. It was, mm. I moved there in 2001. So the internet was like new. <laughs> so I just had to pay a ton of money to a broker to help me find an apartment. It was it was scary. Yeah. But did you get work immediately or? Well, I did get work immediately, but um, at Barnes and Noble, not at, um, <laughs> not <laughs> as an actor. <laughs> well, that prepared you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Joel is a character that we don't often get to see on TV, unfortunately, a queer character of faith. Mm. How, why do we not get to see this enough? Well, I think because most of the people who write for TV are not people who grew up in the Midwest <laughs> where you see a bunch of gay characters, um, you know, who go to church or you see queer people who are involved in faith communities. And like, I'm in, as a New Yorker, I don't know, I can maybe think of one queer person who, who is a regular churchgoer. And, but as a Texan, I know maybe 15 or 20 and, you know, I haven't lived there for, 25 years. <laughs> so uh, I think that it's just a lot more common in the middle. And a lot of people who write uh, TV are on the sides. And, and you have this in common with Joel. You grew, also yes. grew up in a... So did you always feel accepted in the church? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I really thought of it as my safe space because um, I know this is shocking, but I was very bullied because I seemed a little obviously gay. <laughs> Um, I now you can't read it at all, but at the time, at the time, anyway. <laughs> now that you're sitting in front of Darth Vader lamps, no one yeah, will make fun of you. Exactly, this lamp is but made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was bullied sort of incessantly in junior high and elementary and, and even high school. Yeah. Uh, thanks, but I, um, you know, it was the eighties. It was it was a different time, um, and. So church was like a real safe space for me. It was like a, even kids who made fun of me at school didn't make fun of me if they, if they went to my church on Sunday. The same Sunday. kids. Yeah, the same kids who would, or maybe, you know, be passively making fun of me with mm -hmm. their friends um, uh, would be 
my peer at, at church. I mean, it was a little, you know, I wouldn't say I completely trusted them. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, but I mean, they were apparently the peer pressured into bullying, which... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think at church, I had this community of adults that liked the fact that I was, I, I, I love to volunteer at church. I volunteered every day of the week, except for Friday. And that was just because there was nothing to do on Fridays. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think uh, the, the, the older folks at church liked to see someone who was young and, and involved and, um, you know, the choir director liked that I liked to sing and the, and the youth director liked that I was always willing to do all of the things, whereas a lot of kids would not be willing to do them. So it, it really was a safe space for me. And I think also like just to be an actor, you need a lot of faith. And um, so I think I, I, I think the same reason that I loved church so much is sort of the way that is the same reason that I was able to continue acting, even though it took 25 years to get a role that anybody wanted to interview me over Zoom for. <laughs> 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 so I, I, think, I think there is a beautiful mystery in faith and I love that beautiful mystery. And, and while yes, there are a lot of, faith communities that do some really terrible things in the name mm. of God or Jesus or whomever. Um, I was lucky enough to be at one that was, that was all about calling you to serve your fellow humanity. And I am so grateful for that community to yeah. grow up there. What do you say to the kids who don't feel accepted within their church and their faith because of who they are? I say, do you, I do not think you need to go to a church. <laughs> if, if anybody's listening to me and, and hears that, please let me know. I don't believe that. Um, I, <laughs> I think that there are, uh, I think if, I think wherever you can find your community, find your community. And I think that with the internet, kids are able to do that more. I mean, I don't exactly know. I don't know. Maybe there's like some sort of equally evil TikToker oh, I'm, <laughs> sure. The churches. I'm sure there's so. more evil TikTokers. <laughs> That's true. So I don't know. I guess don't take advice from me. What the hell do I know? <laughs> Besides the church and faith, how did you handle that bullying? It seemed like when you tell it, it seems like it was very, went on for a long time. It did. It was, it was really bad. I mean, like, um, I, I, I had a great mom and, and a great dad. And um, one time my mom even like let me skip school and she took me to SeaWorld. This is pre-Blackfish. Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> um, like she just let me skip the, skip the day and then she just like had me write a report on it. And uh, because she knew like I just needed a, a break from it. Cause like I, like my, I had, I went into, I had the, um, you know how my character gets a stress rash in the show. I, I actually got one in junior high and high school from uh, an autoimmune disorder, and I read up on it, and it comes from trauma. <laughs> oh. I know, right? So I guess what I what I say is, uh, I started attacking myself oh, <laughs> or my, my immune system. <laughs> yeah. So I mean. Did, and did you do musical theater? Uh, yes, I did. Well, I was in the choir as a kid. And um, once a year, my high school would do musical theater. And I never got the lead role, but I didn't care because I loved musical theater. And uh, I played, you know, 
the, the farmer who says, come on, Ann Eller, we got enough in Oklahoma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, by the way, the entirety of my role. <laughs> Important one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Mansplaining to an old woman. <laughs> but it, it's interesting how musicals, I mean, every generation just recently to glee and all these musicals that are coming out it just lives on as an important form and i was just did you watch euphoria right ahead of you this sunday no i haven't seen either of our shows this sunday yet no, okay well that before. watching euphoria ahead of um somebody somewhere is a trip <laughs> but they oh, have really? a huge <laughs> <laughs> they have a huge musical theater episode which is like woo. <laughs> yeah oh my god i cannot wait yeah cannot for another wait. generation <laughs> yes <ours>. exactly <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly but the musical theater was sort of the same thing as church where it was like you you had hope there you know it was like so beautiful and there was like a lot of fantasy and it, it, things were mean and sad but then you got to just sing and it was in harmony and you got to do a box step <laughs> don't you know that you're a grown-up I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> But the, the wonder thing about this series is someone said it's not a coming of age story. It's a coming of middle age story, um, which mm. I think is a wonderful, you know, not many stories about that today. But <laughs> you did a performance called Grief Bacon. Yes, good research. <laughs> <laughs> where you talk about that you had an early midlife crisis. I was wondering what happened to you in that early midlife crisis. Well, first of all, um, some press said it was an early midlife crisis, but it was just a midlife crisis. <laughs> I mean, because it happened when I was 40. Okay. And uh, if you doubled my age and I died at 80, nobody'd be like, oh, you had so much more to live for. You'd be like, good life. Good on you. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, that, I had lived in L.A. and was um, trying to get a series. I, I booked a pilot, but it didn't get picked up. And I... Uh, I got booked little tiny roles here and there, but for the most part, I didn't get any work and I ran out of money and had to come back to New York um, because my husband, we were long distance and it just felt like a real failure. And at the same time, my mom died and then, uh, and then I had a recurrence of that stress rash. <laughs> and so, uh, so I decided to write. <laughs> Oh, one person show about it. Oh, God, isn't it something out loud? It's so embarrassing. It's not. I think it's very impressive. <laughs> Thank you. And well, I was eating my feelings too, hence the grief bacon. <laughs> and did it help? I mean, did it? It did. It yeah. did. It made yeah. me feel like an artist again, as opposed mm -hmm. to just like, because when you come to it, when you live in LA, you spend a lot of your time talking about the biz, just because literally everyone you know here is in the biz, whereas my friends in New York are 
therapists and bankers. I don't have any banker friends. That's yeah, a lot. I was going to say, but... <laughs> this doesn't sound like what I imagined that you were there with Bridget Everett and doing cabaret. But suddenly you're with bankers and, and you go back to New York, which is much more affordable than LA. I'm, I'm not I know. Getting... It makes no sense. It makes no sense. Well, it's more affordable because my husband lived there. So we okay. were paying two rents and I, we could just pay one rent because he is an artist and he also teaches there. So he couldn't leave. And I do have friends who are therapists, but I don't have any friends who are bankers. But you talk about things. You talk about more things than just the biz in New York. Mm -hmm. Even with your actor friends, you talk about more than just the biz. And um, so it was it was wonderful to to look at comedy as an art instead of just as um, one more credit on IMDb. One of the things that also also interesting in the show is how you show so beautifully how different people deal with different things. For example, mm -hmm. Mike Haggerty, who plays Sam's father, he's so mm. amazing. Mm. He has this line, you know, sometimes you have to put your head down and get on with things. I mean, he's that type of person who yeah. just, I'm not going to bother everyone. I don't have to talk about my feelings or, but he's also not facing certain things right come to see without spoiling um how do you deal with things like that well i try now to to face them but um i i think i'm definitely uh paul thoreen who's one of the creators talks about writing that character as like so many men that he has seen growing up in minnesota and i just feel like he seems so much like men who I grew up with in Texas, like my, my family has rural roots. <laughs> wow. Say that twice. And uh, it, it, it is that very much sort of like Puritan spirit. Uh, <laughs> like uh, when I look at him play that, he plays it so beautifully where he gives you so much with his face, like put him, that beautiful put him. <laughs> and um, I, I, and I love, I love what he he does, and I feel like I can tend towards that. Uh, but I, you know, I also live in New York, so I'm in therapy, and I lived in LA, so I, I own a crystal or two too. So <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> You're trying every a little bit of everything, a splash here and there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, Eastern and Western. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> then, in case one of them doesn't work, the other one always will, right? Hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> Joel, we see how he changes Sam right from the beginning. I mean, he really brings mm. her into the theater, changes her, at least, you know, opens her eyes to things. Um, how does Sam change Joel? Oh, that's such a good question. Joel has always loved her, has always looked up to her. And I think her friendship is a validation for him. Um, I think, like, when you grow up, someone who's never remembered, <laughs> even when you're in the extracurricular activities with mm -hmm. them, you know, he says, it's no big deal. Everybody, nobody remembers me. And um, I mean, I think that's a lie of kindness. I think it is a big deal. I think it does hurt. But um, for me, that, that line he says in the pilot, do you like how I'm talking about the character I play in the third person? I feel a little, <laughs> whatever. I'm in LA, let's do it. Um, <laughs> The thing about Joel, uh, when he says, I can't believe I know you know you now, I thought was so, such a beautiful thing of, 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 of how she changes him too, about mm. how she shows him that he matters too, that he has value as well, that this woman that he's looked up to for 
25 years sees him and says, yeah, you're worth, you're worth my time. I'll hang out with you. I think that, God, I could cry. It's so beautiful. Mm, it is. I have this feeling that there is a sadness with him. Like when, when she finds him doing the fa fabulous Zumba workout, he is in a very dark, hidden <laughs> garage where he hardly has, you know, space to move. Right. And, There's and no ventilation. The, you no, know, and with the dog. In a way, he's both out there, but he's also hiding in a sense. Yeah, um, yeah, I do. I do think that. And I think in a certain way, in a very different way, he's sort of like um, Ed, Mike Haggerty's character in that like, and I think that's just a Midwestern thing. And, and I know Texas isn't Midwestern, but I feel like Texas has that same grit. And I grew up there. So I really feel like I, I know that, which is that it feels like an adult, it feels like you're a really good person if you listen to somebody else's problems, but you're a really bad person if you tell your own. Now the math doesn't add up on that, <laughs> but but I think that he has a certain, and Sam has this too, where it's like we're not the kind of people that you you talk about your feelings. That's just not culturally the thing that happens. So I think he has a lot of feelings that he hasn't gotten out there, and that's why I'm so glad there's going to be another season to to see more of that stuff. Yes, we want to know what happens to him. <laughs> Have you <laughs> confronted or, or met any of those bullies you were talking about later in life? You know what's so funny is in 2007, I was in a series of Snickers commercials that ran on the NFL. And as part of that, we had to go to lots of NFL games dressed as our characters. And when I went to the Dallas Cowboys game, I ran into a guy who was one of the meanest bullies, but because I was there handing out Snickers bars, he was like, this is one of my best friends from high school. <laughs> and the whole time I was like shielding my face with my arms, like, don't hurt me. <laughs> I think, I think um, when you see somebody on TV, it's like, all's forgiven. Also, I think for me, it was super traumatic, but I think for the, the people who did the bullying, it was, in the same way that I was talking about before, that was culturally appropriate. It was something that I don't think they really even thought about as being a bad thing. I want to talk a little bit about this amazing cast, um, which seems to be just as wonderful and mixed and come together and hopeful as they are in the series, um, would you say? Yeah, I would. I would say that. Bridget was talking about how I have this joke in, in Grief Bacon that I've clawed, scraped, and scratched my way to the lower middle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I think, and she says, like, it's so great that, you know, Mary Catherine, who, who had done a few Broadway shows, but had actually moved to Virginia with her husband, and Murray, who's just been 25 years kicking around. Mike Haggerty, who told me last night, like, I've never heard the word second season t together. <laughs> <laughs> and Bridget, who's, you know, was waiting tables up until about five or six years ago. Like to, for all of us to be here and having um, a show that people actually watch and seem to like, it's, it's the, I mean, it's such a great thrill. It's so kind of unbelievable. I feel like pretty soon something bad's going to happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't worry. I got my crystals. It's okay. Okay, good, good. <laughs> and you'd mentioned season two. Do you know anything you can tell us? I mean, I'm not, it's not like Marvel, you know, there's not, there's probably not going to be that many big reveals, but um, uh, no, I don't know a thing about it yet. Nothing. And when do uh, you start filming? And, and 
Um, I don't even know that yet exactly. I think I think May, but I'm not exactly sure. But you know that you're free. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> thus far, thus far I am. <laughs> okay. I better hurry it up. All my movies I'm gonna get. I'm just. <laughs> Lastly, and most importantly, what did playing bitchy customer service representative teach you about dealing with them? Oh wow, that's such an interesting question. Um, you know, I think primarily, I um, I don't think I learned anything from it. But I, I learned something from Murray Hill, who plays Frederick Coco on the show. When we were all living together, um, we, we did take out a lot and we would go and pick it up at the restaurant and I would, I would drive him over there. And we had this one, the lady at the Italian restaurant, she just didn't like us. And Murray was like, watch, I'm gonna wear her down. And since we ordered there so frequently, every time we'd go in, he would just chip away, chip away. And finally, he one time said, what's that fragrance you're wearing? Is that, and he guessed the fragrance and I saw her melt and suddenly we were in, <laughs> she liked us. And I was so moved by the fact that he just kept going and going and going. He killed her with kindness. He killed her with kindness. It was beautiful. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's the way to be. Jeff, thank you so much for your time with me and for the show. I can't wait for season two. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much to Jeff Hiller. Somebody Somewhere is on HBO Max. And thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. We'll be right back.